Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Yeah, you know Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Get down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? Are you ready to get down with some D&D? I know I am. I am joined, as I am almost always joined, by the Misty, Mature, and Merry, today, Mad Wizard Merwin. What is up, Sean? Ho, 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 Merry Podcast. <laughs> Merry Podcast. Actually, it's um, it's 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 a holy day, because it's May 1st. It is. For people who are pagan and whatnot. And since, you know, you love the Moonche so much in Ireland, mm-hmm. it's yeah. Beltine, right? There you go. It's also International Workers' Day. International Workers' Day. Like, yeah. does that even matter to you and me? Uh, sure. Why sure. do, you, do you think we don't work? <laughs> well, I mean, we work, but we don't. I mean, I feel like International Workers' Day is probably for those people who are working for somebody. Like, I, I don't know if we work for somebody. We work mostly for ourselves, right? This is true. This is true. It's but, interesting. You know, you, you have to work out, look out for your brethren working uh, in other fields. That is true. So, anybody out there who is is working hard, um, more power to you, and I hope you're having a wonderful, wonderful afternoon or evening or morning, whichever part of the day you're listening to this. All right. Well, with that, let's get to some announcements. Sean, what is first on the docket? First on the docket is the Monsters of the Guild book. It is now up on the DMs Guild. You can buy it in a PDF form or in print on demand. It contains tons and tons of great monsters from different creators across the guild. And it a, a version of it was up previously, a pay-what-you-want charity version called Monsters Without Borders. That sold over 4,000 copies and raised $1,800 for Doctors Without Borders. So thanks to everyone who checked that product out uh, in its charity form. But now you've got the full product coming out. Um, There's a link in the show notes, and you can check it out on the Guild and see what you think. Nice. Very cool. I will have to check that out. I kind of want the... uh the PDF version of it because it's neat. It's a neat project mm-hmm. and it's a neat, neat, neat product too. Yes. Uh, number two is sign up to DM at Origins or Gen Con. In fact, this afternoon I signed up to DM at Gen Con. Nice. I will. Uh, I will be there. I'm not allowed to run the the uh, the D experience stuff yet because I am not uh, of a high enough level in the Heralds Guild. Ah, uh, yes. I mean, I put my check mark in there because I had really high ratings at Winter Fantasy, but I'm sure I'll just end up running something else. Really, I hope I get to run Dusk City Outlaws because that game's amazing. Yeah, I saw that Bald Main Games would be running that at, at Gen Con, and my first thought was, wow, maybe I'll run that. But then I realized that I probably am needed elsewhere. But if you, you out there listeners, are interested in DMing D&D at Origins or Gen Con or some other games, you can go to the heraldsguild.com website, and at the top of the page you will see links for Gen Con 2018 and Origins 2018. If you are going to be at either of those events... You can sign up to run Adventurers League stuff, uh, D&D, some other games. Uh, let's see. what's As, as Chris said, uh, Dusk, Dusk City Outlaws will be there. Um, Shadow of the Demon Lord I know will be at Origins. Not sure about Gen Con. It wasn't uh, as far as I could tell. Right. And, and uh, you know, other games are there. It is a great way to, say, get a free badge. If you run four slots at either of those events, you can get yourself a free badge. For Gen Con, that's almost $100 for a full four-day badge. Mm-hmm. And if you run eight slots at Gen Con, you can get yourself a room, which if you want to stay downtown 
unless you unless the sun of Timora shined upon you when uh, the hotel lottery happened, then you were probably staying out somewhere near Chicago, which is where I got. Um, so if you run enough slots at Gen Con, you can get yourself a hotel room, which you share with other DMs right downtown. And I've done this many, many times in the past. It's a great experience, um, a great way to go to the convention a little bit more cheaply than otherwise. And you get to share stories with uh, the DMs that are in your room. So it can be a really great experience. I'll be running enough slots to get a room, so I'll be downtown. Yep, I'm hoping to be. <laughs> um, real quick, so you mentioned Origins. We will be at Origins, you and I. Yes, we will. In fact, we're doing a panel called The Business of D&D, where we will talk about our experiences as freelancers and how to sell stuff that is related to the DMs Guild in D&D. Mm -hmm. It is on Thursday afternoon at 1 p.m. It is a, a one-hour panel. So uh, if you want to check that out, it's part of the Origins University track. You should uh, take a look on the schedule, sign up, come check us out. There you go. Uh, I'm really excited. We were just talking before we started recording, and we got into the uh, some of the business side of things. And I was like, wow, we should be talking about this at our seminar. So it, it's on our minds. Uh -huh, very much so. I mean, me and Sean both are freelancers, and we both work really hard at this stuff. So, I mean, there you go. Yep. Also at Origins, you will be seeing... Um, the launch of the convention-created content from Bald Man Games set in the Moonshade Isles. Yeah. You will also be getting some, I believe, some season, um, the next season preview for the Adventurers League. That's what uh, I hear. Yep. So all that stuff's happening at uh, at Origins and then at Gen Con. There will be new uh, Moonshade Isles content. Gen Con is really great for picking up new players and uh, and you know bringing new players into the fold, so a lot of lower level stuff, you know, tier one and tier two stuff will be running there. Uh, but there may be some surprises there as well. So go in, sign up to DM, or you know, sign up to play if if that's your uh, if that's your groove. Absolutely. All right, let's talk about the next thing. So uh, DM David, most advice for encouraging role playing stinks, but I found the good stuff. I uh, I read this article, Sean. It was really good. Why don't you get us into it? Yeah, well, as you know, we're big fans of DM David here. He uh really smart guy, writes in an entertaining way. He's also a really always, nice guy. Oh yeah, and he always has some really good points. And this time what he did was he talked about uh his own struggles as a DM with with role playing, you know, he talks about talking with people who said we never even rolled a die the whole session. We played for four hours and all we did was role play. And, you know, he's never had that experience. And it's it's not something that a lot of people will will experience in, in, in my uh, in my experience. So, you know, he, he wanted some information, uh, some tips on how to do that. And so as he went through the Internet looking for stuff, he got a lot of pretty vague advice like well use inspiration to to get people to role play but you know that's kind of it, that's just kind of the pat thing you say without really thinking about it more deeply so he went through and he he picked up tips from matt mercer and from uh who's the guy who had the bazillion dollar kickstarter uh, matt colville yeah yeah he had stuff from matt colville uh and so just you should read the article. I'm going to hit it real quick here, what he said. Uh, create ties between characters right from the start. That's something I learned from Chris. Sean, can I just ask you a question? Do you want to do an episode on this particular topic? We can definitely do that. 
I mean, I would not have a problem talking about this. And if right. you want, we can actually ask DM David if he wants to come on and have the conversation with us. You know, I would love to do that. So I'm going to stop right there, and we're going to reach out to uh, DM David and see if we can get him on. Because I have a lot, I have a lot to say about this subject. Yes, and, I know um, you do. Yeah, it's it's one of my uh, my my favorite things to talk about is how to how to get the game away from the whole we're just rolling dice and, and moving miniatures around the around the table and getting people to actually like tell the story of what's going on and portray their characters and you don't even have to get into that first person thing. There's way, plenty of ways to do it in third person, but that's what I want to do an episode on. Sounds good. I'm going to stop right there then, and we can move on to the next thing. All right, but I'm putting on you to ask David if he wants to come on the show. I will yeah. definitely do that. And since uh, we figure out a time for us to do that, that'd be great. I'd appreciate that. Sure, sure. Thank you. All right. Uh, there's a survey for the order domain up right now. You should go fill it out. Yep. We talked about the order domain on an episode a few shows ago. Um, now you can go in, you can read it over, and you can tell wizards what you think about the order domain. So there's a link in our show notes, or you can go to the D&D website at Wizards, and the first link there will be the survey. So go go to it. Fantastic. All right. So the last thing that we wanted to mention is uh, Esper Genesis. The 5e sci-fi game is now available on DriveThruRPG. We had Rick Lescoflair, or Rich Lescoflair on the show to talk about this before, and I've met Rich. He's a really cool guy. Uh, and, Sean, you know him quite well. Mm-hmm. So if you like galaxies at war, high-tech gadgets and weapons, robots, aliens, starfighters, and ancient machines with the power to shape reality, then all of these things make the core of Espergenesis, powered by the 5th edition rules of the world's greatest role-playing game. Taking on the role of a galactic hero, you can forge your destiny within a universe of advanced technologies and hidden mysteries. So, in short, you like 5e? You like sci-fi? Excellent. Go give it a shot. It's on the drive through RPG right now. We have a link up in our show notes. And Alligator Alley Entertainment, of which Rich Lescouflair is one of the primaries, is the publisher. I got a question, and maybe you don't know the answer to this. What are they doing to support the game now that the book is out? I am not 100% sure because I think they just released it on DriveThru. Uh, so I, in fact, you know, Rich is not, Rich is one of the guild adepts. Mm-hmm. And normally every day he's on our little Slack channel with different things. And he's been silent for a while. And he just came back recently and said, sorry, I've been so silent, but we're getting this book out. Um, so I don't even know if they've really had a big push yet uh, for the actual published book I drive through. That's fair. Uh, I mean, that, that's cool. I, I, I totally get that. I'm just wondering if they're ever going to do like adventures or anything like that. I hope they do because it's a really cool setting. Yeah, I know that they have like playtest adventures that they've already been running at conventions. And I assume, I believe I remember Rich talking about having sort of a mini living campaign um, that would run at conventions. Ooh, that'd be neat. I'd be interested in helping out with that. Rick, mm-hmm. Rich, mm-hmm. Rich. I yes. keep calling you Rick. Sorry about that. Not that you're listening to this, but if you are, sorry about that. <laughs> he better be listening. <laughs> All right. Well, you should go check out the sci-fi 5e goodness. And... um. As I've been sort of saying and, and talking to people, like I, I really like 5e because I think it's probably the most hackable version of D&D I've seen in quite a while. Mm-hmm. It's way more hackable than 4th edition, and it's, in my opinion, um, easier to mod than 3rd edition was. Yep, and we're beginning to see other settings start to come out, kind of, you know, future tech and spy stuff. So, um, you know, as as we get longer and longer into the edition's release, we will probably see more and more stuff. I still, if I ever have a free moment, would love to do kind of a top secret version of 5e. 
mm-hmm. you know, the, the spy game, but that's way down the road if if ever. Yeah, it would also be good from from a business point of view to have a an IP that goes along with that pretty pretty sellerly, like right? Yes, sir. <laughs> I mean, not there, there's hundreds of them out there, but it would be good. Yeah, I, I mean, I want to do the Mission Impossible Five E game. That'd be fun. That would be sweet. Sort of over-the-top spy action, right? Oh, well, you know, Chris, if you choose to accept that mission. Yeah, right? Um, right. <laughs> that's funny. Okay. Thanks. Let's get into deconstructing adventures, right? So that's our topic for the day. I didn't yep. mention it yet. Uh, lead us in. So, you know, over the course of this podcast, we've had lots of times where we've evaluated adventures or looked at rules. And then we've also talked about the process of evaluating adventures, but we've never really sat down and said when when we deconstruct adventures, either just to to run them or to play them or to write our own, how do we do it? So we figured it was about time where we talked about the, that actual act of deconstructing and evaluating adventures. Uh, so the first thing I want to get out of the way is we're not going to talk about some pretty obvious things. Like when you look at an adventure, looking at the grammar and typos and, and so on. Uh, obviously, that's important. It's important to have a good editor, but we're not going to, to get too deep into that stuff. Just understand that that's the first thing that, that people have to deal with when they look at an adventure. So if that's not good, you can just basically toss the whole thing out right away. We're assuming that the adventure that we're evaluating is professionally written, professionally edited, when I say professionally, at least done with some degree of skill and attention. Mm-hmm. All right. So then that out of the way, we can get into how we deconstruct adventures. Yes. So um, right off the off the bat, we're saying that clear writing is a thing. Right. Like we're not going to worry about talking about that later. Right. All right. Cool. So the the first thing I think is is know yourself and get over yourself. Now you put this in there, but I think I kind of got what you were going after, which is this is all about understanding your likes and your dislikes, and then realizing that that has nothing to do with what makes something good or bad. Mm-hmm. That's precisely it. When you evaluate something, you always bring your own biases to it. Mm-hmm. And if you really want to deconstruct something and review something, the first thing you need to to say to yourself is what are those biases that I have. How can I negate those to really evaluate the work that I'm looking at? Mm-hmm. If, you, uh, if you go into poetry, of all things, um, Keats talked about negative capability, uh, the ability to kind of negate the, the, the part of you that is getting in the way of getting to the beauty of what you're talking about. And this is kind of like that. Um, you know, you, you, you need to negate that that ego to get Freudian on us, um, you know, negate that to, to open your mind up to what you're actually trying to get to. So when you look at something, if you hate, you know, dungeon crawls and you look at this adventure and like, Oh, it's a dungeon crawl. One star. It sucks. You've kind of ruined, not just the review that you did, but reviewing in general. So if you go to the DMs Guild or drive through or any site where you see ratings and people say, I didn't like this adventure because it was too short, and the whole point of the adventure was to be short, um, your review is useless. Yes, that, I agree. Yeah, so that's basically what we're trying to say. So 
know that know that about you. And so, sometimes it's very difficult to do. It's difficult to do for even the most seasoned reviewers or, or evaluators. So you know, I'm not saying it flippantly. It it's it's a challenge, and it's just something that you may just want to jot that down as you're doing an evaluation. Um, I really like that. Then look and say, you know. Does it matter? And it goes both ways. You you know, you could say I love this because it has beholders in it because I love beholders and it could still be a terrible adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, having beholders in it doesn't make it great just because you like beholders. It's true. So, you know, it, it cuts both ways. Can I ask a question that we didn't necessarily put in the notes? Sure. Why will we deconstruct an adventure? Ah, why would we deconstruct an adventure? That's a great question, Chris. Yeah. So. You know, we were talking either last week or two weeks ago. Uh, it was uh, it was the Chris Perkins uh, little clip on D and D Beyond, mm-hmm. where he talked about how he became an adventure writer. Yes, and how he became an adventure writer was by reading and playing these old first edition adventures and figuring out what worked and what didn't. And so that's why we're we're having this talk today based on his talk on the D&D Beyond video, which is, you know, if you want to write these or if you want to become a better DM even when running published adventures, it helps to be able to read an adventure through, analyze it, figure out what works and work, what doesn't work. So when you're running it, you can highlight certain things or downplay certain things. And as a writer, you can avoid mistakes and you can pick up good habits from the adventures that you've seen. Yes, absolutely. That is exactly why I think you should deconstruct adventures. So I don't really have anything to add to anything you just said, because I thought that was the reason that I, that that is the reason why I think you should deconstruct adventures. It also helps with you running them. Um, Mm -hmm. There's that too. Like if you can deconstruct an adventure, take it apart, figure out what is, uh, what is working with it and what is not working with it. It'll make you more effective at running it. Uh, so why don't you talk, Chris, about um, you know, un- about understanding what a quality adventure actually is? Yeah. So adventures are, um, since we're talking about adventures, it's about organization. Like, is the information organized in a way that is easy to utilize? Um, and that is another thing. Like, is it is it usable? Like, is the 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 document that you have in your hand usable? It doesn't matter how cool or interesting or clever the ideas in the adventure are. If it's not presented, which is the third thing, presented in a way that makes it usable and it's organized well, then these, th- then all the ideas in there don't matter that much because it takes too much work for a game master, dungeon master, to use the thing that you are that you are having in your hands, right? So, to me, that's what true quality is: is having organization, usability, and presentation. Presentation, which presentation includes the art. The graphic design, and by the way, the art is one of the one of the least important things. I mean, we all love art, but I want if I'm going to get on my soapbox for a second, I love me some art, I really do. And if 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 Piazzo has anything to say about that, art just sells really well. Mm-hmm. But it's graphic design, how the words on the page flow, how charts are used, how information is, how how layout is 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 created in order to create information flow, so that you can understand what is going on on the page. Mm-hmm. Um, without those things, you have a much less enjoyable and usable product, in my opinion. Sure. Yep. And um, and I would throw just you know just the overall plot in there as well. You know, yeah. What, you know the, the the content the the is it fun? Is it interesting? Um, 
it th- that's that's kind of a given, but I just wanted to to throw it out there because all of the things that you mentioned are super important: the organization, the usability, the presentation. Um, but that is also obviously a, a an important part of it. Yeah. So execution, right? Like execution mm-hmm. on an idea, because mm-hmm. because how many plots are there really? Like how many adventure types are there? Right. Like we can talk about interesting ideas all day and all night, but like. What is one of the most basic plots ever? Like, oh, look, there's some orcs in a cave that have taken someone, right? But it's way more interesting when the person that was taken is pregnant with possibly the chosen one. Mm -hmm. I might be referencing a Sean Merwin adventure here. It's it's happened. Yeah. So, like, that's a different... Like, that's all about execution. Like, we've all seen the kobolds in the cave or the... um, the whatever monster in the cave adventure like it's it's pretty standard but some of them are better than others for reasons yep because of yep. uh the stuff that i'm talking about here organization usability presentation but also um sean calls it fun i think of the fun fun's a pretty subjective thing right like it sure. depends on the person but like um the cleverness of the encounter design mm-hmm like what what is the encounter design actually doing like is there interesting terrain is there all that kind of stuff like that is all about like what is quality design of an encounter and then is that presented in a way that that is usable by the game master right you know in general we've talked about encounter design before it it helps to at least put one interesting thing in each encounter uh-huh and you don't have to overdo it and put 50 interesting things but take a typical encounter say a combat encounter you know you've got your terrain you've got your setting you've got your enemy you've got your goals and just do one interesting thing with one of those pieces and you've at least made it a little bit different and a little bit more interesting in terms of design and if you can do that with every encounter then you are slowly building up your adventure to be as a whole more interesting than just your random dungeon crawl. Mm-hmm. Like a fight where there is a... Uh, I just keep using that adventure that you wrote for 4th edition so long ago. One of the fights with the orcs, like there's a, um, there's a, there's a, there's a crevasse in the cave, right? Like there's a pit that you can fall down, mm-hmm. and there's like a bridge over it, and the orcs are on one side, and the player character's on the other side. Now, the fact that the orcs can hide around the corner and can like attack the player characters from the other side from behind cover makes that adventure interesting. And it makes that encounter interesting in my opinion. Like it is to me, the one interesting thing, right? Or the two interesting things together. Yeah. Sometimes how I like to think about it is if you are rolling a random dungeon out of, out of the DMG, you know, what's in the room, clatter, clatter of dice. Oh, it's this. If you can make, your encounter one step more interesting than you could by just doing it randomly like that, then you've done your job. Mm-hmm. Um, can, can we talk a little bit about organization usability and presentation again? I would love to. All right. Um, we did a whole thing, a whole series of, of, of podcasts on out of the abyss. We, we completely took that book apart. If I remember correctly. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, there is, there are some usability problems with the adventure because of all the NPCs, correct? That yes, I I believe that's the case. That yes. that is that is definitely our that is definitely our opinion, and we think it's a pretty good one. Like mm-hmm. we we supported it with a lot of points. Here's another thing: like if you're going to make a critique about something or a criticism about something, it's good to have a bunch of actual opinions instead of just saying that sucks. Right. 
Um, but that is that is not that is not um, that is that is about reviewing and not about deconstructing. Right now, all those it's hard for a game master to manage the adventure and manage twelve NPCs at the same time and also bring them all to life and. You know, it's just a lot of splitting your mind a bunch of different ways. So that makes it hard. I think that is the conclusion that we came to. Right. And and a lot of this is is going to be brought up when I talk about what kind of adventure it is. Um, mm-hmm. But, yes, it definitely, you know, in terms of that book, which was trying to be a very long campaign, um, it it presupposed that all of these or at least a good number of these NPCs would be coming with you because those NPCs were important later in the adventure. So it wasn't mm-hmm. like they were just presented and said, use them as you will. It was presented, but then plots down the line relied on them. So mm-hmm. it, it was a deal where it was harder for the DM just to throw, say, I can't deal with all of these guys. I'm just going to throw them away because then that hurt down the line. It did. And so when we talk about, so they had a usability problem um, Mm -hmm. there because there wasn't a lot of great advice for about how to use them in play or how to use NPCs in play in the game. Anyway, when you have that many, Um, there's a presentation problem with that particular part too. Whereas in the NPCs that were presented, they didn't have a lot of good, um, indicators of where they showed up later in the game. So mm-hmm. you weren't really sure what to do with them or if they could die or what would happen if they died until you started reading that part. And like, I mean, granted, I get it. It's like a 256 page book that, I mean, maybe it wasn't that long. I can't remember, but it's a giant book and you're supposed to kind of read the whole thing before you run it. So you kind of know what's going on, but that's a lot of effort without like, and then you had to remember like, oh yeah, that NPC from back then, what page was that on? Then flipping back and forth, there's not a lot of good page reference numbers or a lot of, a lot of, a lot of good pointers mm-hmm. to where to go in the book. That is a yeah. presentation problem in my opinion. Sure. And you know what, Chris, I'm going to jump right into kinds of, of adventures um, and sure. kinds of adventure products because you're making a perfect point that I want to highlight. Um, uh-huh. And you should right now. Absolutely. And so, so Tomb of Annihilation, people, I have heard people say, has the same problem as as out of the abyss but it really doesn't because tomb of annihilation was written to be what i call a component kit mm-hmm. right it it was made with the assumption that the dm would put pieces together to create the campaign and and it gave easier ways to do that and it showed you different routes you could take whereas out of the abyss um was more of a blueprint or a flowchart kind of adventure. I think it's more of a flowchart, right? Yeah, where there is a path through it, but that path was very hard to follow for the DM. So, mm-hmm. you know, they they may look a bit like similar adventures in terms of you know the style that that they were uh, trying to get through to the DM, but they're really very different. Um, you know, they both they they both um, needed the DM to do a lot of work to make it work, and but Tomb of Annihilation made it easier by telling you that and assumed that you would be doing that. Whereas I don't think Out of the Abyss did. I would agree with that. Can I, can I ask you a question about these terms? Because I'm curious. Because we don't have yeah. definitions for them. Yeah. Um, I can I can kind of grok component kit. I like that a lot. I can yep. 
I can grok flowchart also. Mm-hmm. I don't understand exactly what you mean by a blueprint. Well, so I've I've created these three words that that I've I kind of use loosely when I think of adventures. Mm-hmm. So a flowchart is going to be the adventure where the DM gets it and has 30 minutes to read it and run it. All right. So you need to make it very clear that this is how you run the adventure. The information needs to be there either before or as the uh, adventure is being presented by the DM. A lot of your DMs uh, guild, not DMs guild, a lot of your adventures, league adventures are flow charts. Mm-hmm. Um, Everything that they need to know is right there. A blueprint adventure is a little bit looser because you have the components and you have them in roughly the right place. But as the DM, you still need to see the whole thing in order to run the campaign or the adventure smoothly. So so can, so you, can I, uh... the, the, you're still building it. But you have mm-hmm. the frame that you can understand, and you just need to pick out little bits and pieces and put them together. So, in my let me ask you this: Would you consider Storm King's Thunder a blueprint then? Um, yes, yeah, I think that's I think that's, and obviously these are are loose terms and things fit in different bins. But yeah, I would say so because. Um, you yes yeah uh, yeah i think okay. it is yep i mean uh i mean pretty much any campaign then with is sort of kind of either a component kit or a blueprint right because flowcharts are generally designed to be smaller things for the for the most part yeah for the most part um yeah here here you know what was missing from out of the abyss it didn't have and we talked about this it didn't have the two pages that was the flowchart right yeah yeah right it, like, it didn't that, yeah that that's exactly or I will say a blueprint. It didn't have the blueprint. You know, with a blueprint, sure. you, you see all the pieces that you need to put this thing together. And then you go get the pieces and you put them in. And it was missing the blueprint. Um, absolutely. Yeah, and I think Storm King's Thunder was a much more um, successful product for doing the blueprint thing because it had stages that you had to go through. And it said you can use these pieces in these stages. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and I get what you mean by component kit, too. Let me see if I'm right. Like, component kit is like like you have a barrel of Legos. Here, go build a thing with these pieces. Right. And and you might get some more detailed instruction about how to put the pieces together, you know, in, in small chunks. Mm-hmm. But for the overall thing, you really need to do it. Especially, you know, I'm, I'm sp- specifically thinking about the the beginning of tomb of annihilation because uh-huh. the adventure starts in terms of being a flow chart in omu right chapter i think it's four mm-hmm. so those first three chapters are components that you need to put together to get the adventurers to the correct level and to the correct place to continue that adventure and and the the difference is it like i said it says it right up front it says you need to do this. Here are all these pieces you can use. Build, build your own. I can dig it. I can, I can get on board with all of these terms. They, they all make sense in my head now. So thank you for uh, defining those for me. Sure. Um, 
so those are the kinds of products that we're talking about then. Like, is it, is it one of these in, in, in our, uh, in the way that we like to make up words around a misdirected marker, give them new meanings, um, and down with D and D, uh, flow chart, blueprint, component kit flow charts are like, you can glance at a page and be like, all right, here's how it goes. You, uh, you can look at a, look at a blueprint and be like, well, I need to build out some of these pieces to make this thing completely work. And then the component kit is like, well, I have these pieces, that will be like the set pieces for mm. the adventure, but I really need to build everything else out around it. Right, exactly. So, you know, to me, the difference between a blueprint and a component kit is the blueprint, you really have the structure ahead of time. You just may mm-hmm. have to, to, you know, pick some things out and put them in the right place. With a component kit, you are really building the campaign yourself. Yeah, you might only have like one or two, maybe three like important places and parts, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. That makes sense. And for uh, Tomb of Annihilation, since I don't, I haven't, I mean, I've read through it, um, not as well as some of the other ones, but like, it's really Oum, um, the Tomb of Annihilation, and Port Nye and Zyro. Those are like your big pieces. Right. And then after that, it's pretty yeah. wide open. Yeah. They give several smaller sites, which you can, you know, swap into the campaign that you're going to run, but you need to give reasons for the PCs to go there. Um, you need to connect all those dots when you when you are using those components to to build the campaign yeah so once again this is about deconstruction so that, like understanding what kind of flow or what you need to do to uh, make the adventure work is part of the deconstruction will help you um, and also will help you decide when you're writing these things and building these these things out what you what kind of thing you want to write and build mm-hmm. um let's talk about you want to talk about the the what the adventure is trying to do part now because that, that is important. Like yeah, we talked, have... we talked a lot about information presentation and how things are structured, but we didn't really talk about adventures in general. Yep. Like so, you know, to to dig into adventures themselves, you know, if if an adventure is written well, it is generally written with a purpose in mind. Uh-huh. Um, the purpose might be um, a time limit. You have to run this in two hours. Um, the purpose might be I want to highlight a particular aspect of the game. Um, you know, so the first thing you need to do is say, what was the purpose of this? And is it hitting the, the, that purpose? Or is it kind of scattered and you really can't figure out what the purpose was? Um, in, in the best of all worlds, the designer will actually say, the purpose of this is blank. Because then it helps you, as the DM, wrap your mind around why things were designed a certain way. Um, that's not something that a lot of people will do a lot. So, you know, sometimes you have to ferret that purpose out on your own. Um, uh-huh. But it's helpful if you can do that. It's true. It's very true. That is, knowing the purpose of a thing is very important. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, you mean... Sean, I, I hate to say it, but like usually when you define a thing, you do it so well that I don't have to ask any questions <laughs> um, or, or have anything really to add on to it. So I guess I'll just move on to the next thing, it's, which is um, theme. I think like if an adventure, it doesn't necessarily need one, but it helps a lot, right? Like themes are important. Like one or two themes really make an adventure shine. Right. You don't you don't have to have a theme or you know a single theme or even a, a set of themes, but like you just said, it. It helps the DM and it even helps the players uh, latch on to a role-playing angle or get them in the mindset of, 
this is the experience I'm going to have. So let me play in a way that supports that theme. You know, it's like if you think you're going into a rom-com and it ends up being a horror movie. Um, it, it, uh, it's jarring. And not to say that you still can't have fun, but part of the fun of seeing a rom-com versus a horror movie is that that feel you know what you bring to it as the viewer it's true so you know having or evaluating those themes and seeing how the adventure designer comes back to those themes over and over again and lets the theme seep in to combats and exploration and social interaction and the cool twists that the designer might put on themes um can be cool to evaluate and to see how when you write your own, uh, you can do the same. So, like, I will uh, I will cite one of my adventures now because why not? Um, the the one I wrote for uh, the the Adventures League, uh, In Search of Secrets. Now, yeah. the design has got some serious problems, but the theming on it was super solid. Like, it's a Yonti temple that goes into the ground. The themes are there's snakes and it's poisonous. So, poison's a theme that pops uh, poison and and how that interacts with the the, the the mod is a thing that comes up over and over again. And then nightmares mm-hmm. and, and fear are another thing that comes up over and over again yep. because, you know, Dendar, the nightmare serpent. So I never overtly, I mean, it's kind of overt, but like I'm never as a writer coming out and saying, these are the themes of the adventure, but it's just baked into everything that I'm writing. Yeah. Right. Another yeah. one of the themes was like, they were like, write a write an adventure that it's an homage to the Tomb of Horrors. I'm like, well, okay, put a billion traps in there, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and then they all have to be themed sort of to the nightmare thing and the poison thing and the snake thing, right? So, and as I'm writing about right now in my next blog post, which should be going up soon, um, it'll definitely be up by the time this drops. You know, having those themes actually helps you as a, as a designer because you can focus your mind, and when you're trying to think of a description for something. Rather than running through, you know, the millions of words you could use, if you just come back, glance down at that theme that you're uh, focusing on, it instantly eliminates a lot of the words that that might be used, and you know, brings them to mind sooner. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's one of those good things to have. Like Sean used to talk about writing. Um, when he's writing adventures, he would write on the top of the page, uh, combat, interaction, exploration. Like putting your themes on the top of the page helps too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, another thing is like, does the plot make sense? Yeah. Do, do you have any plot holes? Does everything kind of like jive in your head? Like, are motivations of bad guys and places um, sensical? Do they make sense? Like, mm-hmm. I think sensical's a made up word, but whatever. So right. there you go. That's a, that's a really important thing. Like, and these are things. Okay. So like, understanding the themes, making sure the themes are like, um there since we were sort of talking about reviewing a little bit too understanding the purpose and making sure the purpose that is is got a nice through line and then understanding the plot and making sure the plot has a nice through line without any plot holes or things that are problematic about it those are ways that you can actually decide whether something is good or bad without mm-hmm. being um biased towards it like those are legitimate like oh cool all this stuff makes sense oh cool all these themes work together really well with this plot oh look the purpose of the adventure i understand it and it executes those are how you find out if something is in my opinion really if something is good or bad yep. um 
also, it's really good to understand the stuff so that you can write things that are good and not bad. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we could put several subtopics under plot, but we're getting uh, low on time. So I just wanted to mention a few. Sure. Uh, one you, you already mentioned, which is the flow. Um, if, if you write encounter one and you expect the PCs to end up at encounter three, um, the, the lead from one to two to three needs to be clear. Uh, and it needs to be something that your average player slash character would want to do. Um, and you know, play testing helps with that. Mm -hmm. Uh, another plot thing another element that i think goes under plot is that your story hook um you know why are the adventurers there and you have to again write for your average adventurer so you always have to think of if they're not going to be just good people that do good things for the right reason then you need to throw money at the problem or you need to find something in character backgrounds that would make them want to do this adventure um, sometimes people can really tear their hair out and, and overdo it on these plot hooks um, but you know if you can hit those three do it because you're good uh, and a hero do it because you're going to get money for it or do it because of something in your background um, that's that's great and backgrounds factions are great for this mm -hmm. because if you know the characters belong to certain factions you can just make it something important to their faction, then you're making it something important to the character. Because if you don't have factions and you want to do something personally, you have to go a little bit out of your way and do things like, oh, look, you've spent some time in this place for a while and you met these people who you care about. Tell me why you care about them. And then, you know, when the bad thing happens, you have a reason to go do something. Mm -hmm. Like, that's you have to go a long way to get there, though, right? Right. <laughs> The, the, being like, oh, I'll give you 100 gold pieces to go do the thing is way simpler. Yep. A absolutely. Uh, is that it? Is there anything else? The, the only thing I wanted to add was the the one thing that I kind of brushed over at the beginning, you know, talking about typos and, and you know, issues of spelling and grammar and so on, is you need to teach yourself or you need to be able to evaluate and recognize clear writing, clear, concise writing. Mm -hmm. Because in the long run, these adventures are user, user manuals. Um, their stories and their game products and their different things, but they really are user manuals. And the most important thing in writing user manuals is writing in a way that's clear and understandable to the audience. Mm -hmm. So if you can't... You can do everything right with everything that we've talked about, but if you can't write clearly, that is a big, big issue that needs to be overcome by the readers of your stuff, and it can make it hard to use your product. So don't be afraid to, um, as you read other people's work, see how they write. And if it's things that you understand, notice their sentence structure, you know, are they short sentences that get to the point and then move on to the next sentence? Um, don't be afraid to write short, clear sentences. Uh, that's that. I think that's pretty much all I need to say on that topic, but it's a very important thing. It's probably the most important thing that we can talk about. 
Uh huh. And I'll, I mean, real quick as a, as a tip, like deconstructing, you want to look for that kind of writing style. Um, we could actually talk about how to write paragraphs. Like mm-hmm. me and Sean, we could actually talk about that because writing student, writing teacher, like right here, like we, we both did that. Um, but that's like for another podcast, I think like right. we could, if you want us to talk about how to write a little bit, this stuff, we could do that, but you should let us know that. Like, we don't want to just do that for, we, 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 that'd be more of a self self-fulfilling like oh look we're going to talk about this because we feel like talking about it thing um but uh yeah sentence structure is important like being clear and concise is important look for that kind of writing because that is how you can see it um it's hard i mean like it would take us some time to describe that yeah i'll stop now because i'll tell you what it takes you know you and i even a long time to do it because you have to write it, and then you have to read it, and then you I'm have st- to evaluate it, and then you have to rewrite it. Yeah, um, I'm still bad at it. Like, I'm not great at it yet. Like, my um, if there's one thing that I'm not super g- good at these days, it's still um, the technical, my technical writing ability. Like, it's I'm I've written probably a million words in my life at this point, and I'm still not great at it. Well, uh, I'm I'm right there with you. I will tell you because you know I've been writing a lot of adventures in the last couple of weeks, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I start writing it, and then I'll hit a breaking point. I'll take a break. I'll come back, and I'll read what I've written so far. And I'll from right that point, I start rewriting because, wow, that is not clear at all, and I need to rewrite it. So, yeah, I mean, you know, but- it's it's not something that you magically just can do. And if, if, if you're one of those people that can, congratulations. I want some of your blood. Yeah, also, I hate you. I There's that, too. <laughs> <laughs> it just it's... Each draft that you rewrite, you know, makes the document ten to fifteen percent better each time. It does, and but but you, there's there's a breaking point. Like you can't do it infinitely. I exactly. Mean, you want to do it. You want to do it at least twice, yeah. preferably three times. Yeah, and there is a law of diminishing returns after you know the third, fourth, fifth, whatever. And uh, and, you, and you just go yeah. find yourself an editor after that. Like that's yeah. the whole point of having an editor. And if you can find a proofreader, get one of those too. But, you know, at yes, least an indeed. editor. Yep. Um, I guess that's all, right? Like, we're good. I think so. And that was fun. I, I enjoyed that topic quite a bit. I'm glad we talked about it. I hope Me you too. all got a little bit out of it, uh, deconstructing adventures and, and why you do it and how you do it and what you should be looking for. Well, with that, time to do some Patreon shoutouts. Uh, Kevin Lovecraft, the beard of the queen. Thank you so much, Kevin. JJ Lanza, Ben Wilson, James Sweetland, Jen Pixelscape Scange. Which, by the way, if you don't follow Jen on Twitter, you should. She draws these amazing, sort of uh, Grateful Dead, Technicolory looking mm-hmm. uh, monster art pieces, which are amazing. Love it. I follow her. Yeah, she's great. Uh, Brandon Barnes, Colin o- uh, Colin Brook, Troy Sandlin, Blake Ryan, the Batman himself, and Corey Johnston. And speaking of patrons, if you'd like to be a patron of Down with D&D, you can click on the link to our Patreon page on the website, and for $2 a month, you can get yourself a shout-out. Or for $4 a month, you not only get a shout-out, but you also get to see our pre-production show notes. And at the $10 uh, level, you can become one of the misdirected Mark Court, and you get access to our Slack channel. You also get, like, extra audio aside from the... Uh the the after show and uh, the outtakes from pandas talking games like there's other stuff that sometimes gets released like actual plays and and more more audio that we put Mm -hmm. out there Uh, if you can't help us monetarily but you want to give us a boost you can do so with an apple podcast review we've got a ton of them and i love them 
yeah, uh, they help even if you don't listen via Apple Podcast because many other podcatchers use Apple Podcasts as their way to rate and rank shows, and it helps make us more visible, as does sharing our information with your friends. Yes, please do. Just tell people about us. Just um, shill, shill, shill. Just tell people about Dallas D&D. We love it. And by the way, I fixed the feed. It was broken for a while. It's better now. Yeah. Anyways, Sean, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Sean Merwin or on the Dallas D&D G Plus community. And how about you? Chris. Uh, at Misdirected Mark is the show Twitter, which is the best place to get uh, me. You can also just at Down with D&D. I follow that one, too. Or you can go to the website where you can get your other great shows, such as this one, The Gnome Cast. Several gnomes from Gnome Stew get together to talk about a gaming topic and themselves a bit. It's all in an effort to avoid being thrown in the stew and also to entertain you. Down with D&D is a Misdirected Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. So what are we going to do now, Sean? We're going to go kill some carefully placed monsters. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? This whole party. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. You're down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. I'm down with D&D. Yeah, you know me. Who's down with D&D? I'm a monster. <laughs> 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 <laughs>